everyone. Welcome to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. I'm Randy. Here in the Crypto Cafe, we embrace newcomers and experts alike to crypto, NFTs, and Web3. Today, I'm very excited to be playing with a new format because we have two guests joining in the Crypto Cafe today to discuss the massive overhaul of Ethereum known as the merge that just happened recently. We're going to be talking about what is it? What's next? Maybe our guests will break it down for someone who's struggling to understand it. You know, that's just me asking for a friend. Uh, with that, I'm delighted to introduce our two incredible guests. We have Laura Shin, who's a crypto journalist, podcast auth- podcast host, and author, host and producer of the popular blockchain and crypto podcast Unchained, and author of The Cryptopians. She's also been a regular guest on my live SiriusXM show. So, Laura, what a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, same here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much. We're also joined by David Deanna, Web3 smart contract and backend developer with me at Hug. David, thanks for uh, jumping on the mic. You're the first person from Hug who's joining for the podcast. Oh, well, I'm very honored. I'm really happy to be on the podcast here and discuss the merge. It's uh, all very exciting stuff, and I can't wait to dive in. All right. Well, I have been reading a lot of what both of you have been writing about the merge. I know, David, you uh, recently hosted a popular Twitter space where you broke it down. Laura, you've had just incredible thought leadership on the topic. Can't wait to get into it with both of you. But first, uh, this is a virtual cafe. So set the scene for me. Where are you? What are you drinking in this virtual cafe, Laura? (laughs) <laughs> I don't have a drink with me. I guess I came empty-handed. I'll have to grab one after the um, recording. That's right. You can you can make up any any magical beverage, no problem. David, what about you? What are you What are you drinking? Yeah, I came in and I ordered. I knew to pick me up on this Monday, so I ordered <laughs> an iced black coffee with, let's say, an extra shot of espresso in there. Um, I'm thinking about picking up maybe a cinnamon scone on the way out. Oh, I love it. All right. You're making me hungry already. Okay. So, (laughs) Laura, let's let's get right into it. What is the Ethereum merge? Break it down for someone who knows nothing about this, of what this is, when it happened, and why. The Ethereum merge is an upgrade to the Ethereum network that has been years in the making. In fact, there's a running joke about it because it's been delayed so many times because it ended up being more technically challenging than I think they anticipated. But the upshot of it is that essentially the security mechanism of Ethereum was changed and it was changed to something that is much more energy efficient and so drastically reduced Ethereum's environmental footprint that some estimates are that now it's been reduced by 99.98%. Sometimes I see a difference uh, of, you know, some people will say it's 99.95, but suffice it to say it is, um, you know, something that I think would silence a lot of the critics of blockchains who kind of, um, you know, just are really um, skeptical of the environmental footprint that they have. Um, And one other thing that happened here was that the um, monetary of policy of Ethereum essentially changed as well. And up until this point, Ethereum has been inflationary, meaning that the um, issuance of new Ether to miners was um, causing the inflation of the monetary supply of ETH. 
And that has been drastically cut from uh, what was, you know, 5% a year to now 0.5% a year. And it could potentially at times actually be deflationary because um, the, it, it's not a straightforward equation, but essentially um, the more usage on the network increases, the more that some ether will be burned. And so when you quote unquote burn this ether, like make it unusable forever, that then decreases the monetary supply. So um, these are some of the kind of major you know, changes that happened. Um, the last, but I'll, I guess I'll just say is like the reason it's called the merge is that, so this new security mechanism is something called proof of stake. The previous one was called proof of work. And the merge is actually kind of this moment where they just marry the economic activity on Ethereum over to a proof of stake blockchain that actually has been running since December of 2020. So because of how complicated it was to kind of make this happen, they just decided to get the proof of stake part of it down and, you know, work on that for almost two years. And then once, and then, you know, then, um, work on the uh, technical um, underpinnings of how to move the vast amount of uh, economic activity that happens on Ethereum, which is not just Ethereum transactions, but also DeFi and NFTs and even things like DAOs, which are called, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, moving that all over to the proof of stake network in a way where the blockchain itself doesn't miss a beat that was um, quite the undertaking. And that's what happened last um, Thursday at like roughly 3 a.m. Eastern. Awesome. <laughs> I, I know both of you are are younger than I am, but it almost feels like it was like a Y2K moment when everyone was like, the, like the, all the computers, the entire grid is going to go down at, at midnight on, on the turn of the century. David, talk to me about um, from a developer standpoint, have have you been anticipating this merge for a while? What, did it, what does it mean for someone who's actually building on Ethereum and, uh, um, and, and what are people saying in the developer community? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have been anticipating this for a long while, just as much as everybody else. Um, but unfortunately, in terms of like what is available to developers, hasn't really changed much in, for the merge. Um, the one thing that has kind of come into the fray almost, uh, you know, not intentionally is all of the possibility that is now unlocked through the merge um, with the uh, energy consumption or lack thereof being drastically reduced um, and be having the Ethereum network be able to run on uh, much lower, uh, uh, I would say like much lower uh, requirements for a PC. Um, so there is more room for the Ethereum network to be introduced into household you know, homes and uh, everyday life. Um, so from a developer's aspect, that's that's really intriguing, I would say. Because um, it's going to open the door to a lot more possibility, maybe um, a lot more chance to integrate some infrastructure, which is, uh, you know, very lacking in, in the crypto world, um, as well as being able to introduce some interoperability between all of these other proof of stake chains. Um, Ethereum being one of the largest blockchains, it's really exciting to see them make this transition because um, interoperability has been a really big bridge to get across. And this was uh, the first step, which is really exciting. Absolutely. So, David, would you say now that we're on the other side of it, did it go well? Can we consider this merge successful? Um, if so, why or why not? Absolutely. And uh, it was really funny kind of seeing everybody's reaction um, when the merge was happening as 
it was a very <laughs> underwhelming experience. Once the merge completed, there was no fireworks. There was nothing crazy that happened. No, ta-da. <laughs> so everybody was expecting some big uh, grand reveal, but it was actually very anticlimactic, which, you know, to, to all the developers out there, that's, that's music to your ears when you release something that people are considering the largest technological advance since the smartphone. And it goes without a hitch. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a massive success and something I was really uh, happy to see with my own eyes. Laura, what, what were you doing at that moment? Were you at one of these like watch parties? Is that even a thing? Like how, how does one watch emerge? So there were a number of watch parties and there was also a massive one on Zoom or, or not, sorry, not Zoom uh, on YouTube um, or it was streamed to YouTube. I guess it was a Zoom. And I did not because uh, my busiest day of the week, every single week is Thursday. It's my longest day. And so since this was happening at, you know, almost 3 a.m. Thursday morning, I <laughs> I had considered going to some parties, but I was just like, I can't do that. And also then have this crazy intense day the next day. So what I did was I actually went to bed at a normal time. And then I set an alarm for like what I projected would be shortly before the merge. And I timed it pretty perfectly, I have to say. But then, of course, I was so pumped up afterwards. I had a hard time sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> what, David, what about you? Were you at one of these watch parties? Yeah, so actually, I, I think uh, Vitalik was hosting one online. There was a bunch of people that tuned in to, to watch as the as the blocks were being processed closer and closer to the merge. Um, I got like right up until the merge was about to happen. And unfortunately, that was right around like 3 a.m., my time. And then right as it was happening, I fell asleep, which was such a pain to say, but I, I would like to say I made it at least 90% of the way there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, wait, David, maybe can you um, drill down a little more into what some of the environmental concerns were about Ethereum before and how the merge addresses them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we were operating on a proof of work consensus where, uh, you know, anyone with a really powerful computer can go and, and run the Ethereum network. And um, unlike the proof of stake where you're staking your Ethereum to uh, be able to validate these blocks or any data that's coming through the network, proof of work, you were staking energy um, in, in the form of mining and uh, solving very complex cryptographic puzzles to validate data and push it through the blockchain. Um, I believe there was a metric. I'm not exactly sure on the on the exact numbers, but I think they were saying on the proof of work chain, we were using energy equivalent to around like 30 nuclear reactors or something really crazy. Wow. Um, and when we switched over to the merge with the proof of uh, state consensus, we actually have dropped it all the way down to a single wind turbine. So I would say that's a pretty dramatic change. That's amazing. Laura, I'm curious, uh, in in your writing and your thinking, um, do you think that this merge is significant for other blockchains or or we'll start seeing other things in the crypto world that are mirroring this? It's so interesting you ask me that because I did some interviews with the mainstream media on Thursday. And one of the very first things they asked me, of course, was whether or not this meant that Bitcoin would also shift from proof of work to proof of stake. And I believe that this question will probably come up even more in the future because there's already been some kind of indications from regulators, both in Europe and the US, that they feel that the environmental cost of producing a proof of work blockchain is something that um, 
and kind of doesn't fall in line with some of the investor concerns around ESG, um, environmental sustainability governance issues when it comes to um, assets. And um, yet the Bitcoin community feels that proof of work is the vastly superior way to secure a blockchain. And so you'll see on Twitter that there are a lot of Twitter fights. I mean, in general, in crypto, there are a lot of Twitter fights. Um, <laughs> but you know, one of the ones that's been coming up a lot recently is that the Bitcoin community just thinks that Ethereum did kind of a a stupid thing uh, that they ended up opting for what they consider um, a less secure way of securing their network. And I guess, you know, not to get too into the weeds about it, but um, for a long time, because these are decentralized networks, there's no single party in control. One of the worries that blockchain communities have had about their networks is whether or not they can be um, 51% attacked. And what that means is, so let's just limit this to Bitcoin uh, for the moment because, you know, proof of work was the original security mechanism. Um, what that means is that then somebody would have 51% of all the computer power in the network. And then that meant that they would be able to, for instance, change recent transactions or do counterfeit transactions or things like that. Uh, because they they would be able to you know add more blocks than everybody else who's trying to be more honest, and um, the way then that you prevent that is you know you have more computer power in the network, which um, you know right now the Bitcoin blockchain I, I don't know the actual number, but it, it is a large amount, and that's um, you know in order to obtain that the miners have to purchase equipment, then they have to pay for the electricity. Like the cost of attacking the network has just grown over time exponentially on Bitcoin. With proof of stake, it's a very different thing. You um, buy a certain number of ether at the, you know, it's right now the min um, the minimum is thirty two ETH. Although there are different ways of participating where you can actually buy less than that and still and still participate, but um, you then lock it up and you know stake it. You lock it up and it can't. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to get too much in the technicalities of this, <laughs> but but the point is that because it's sort of held up in this locked up way, if you um, do something that is adversarial to the network, then you can lose your stake. The system can like basically punish you. And so it's just a, a different thing. And again, here to attack, then the cost of that is just acquiring. Um, so, you know, let's say I'm, I'm just going to make it up. Let's say it's, I, I think I heard it's like $20 billion worth of, of stake on the network or something like that. And frankly, because the prices are changing, it's probably different even from what I just heard. But, um, but then you'd have to, you know, stake 20, whatever, 20.5 billion or, you know, whatever, I'm making up the, the numbers, but it would have to be more, right? To In order to do this 51% mm. attack. So um, it's just a different way of measuring the cost. But um, all of this is to say that for various reasons, and again, it gets very technical, the Bitcoin community really feels that proof of work is the best and most secure way um, to, you know, uh, come to what they call consensus on the network. So right. I... I don't think this is going to happen, but I think the question will continue. For sure. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and and I, I concur that crypto Twitter is a feisty crew. I have seen those those Twitter fights going on. Um, but I, I'm glad you brought that up because my next question was going to be that, you know, both of you sound pretty positive about the merge. But I know that people have a lot of feelings about a lot of things on crypto Twitter. So what what are the naysayers saying? And maybe, Laura, we'll start with you. And then, David, I'd love for you to chime in. Like, are people talking about cybersecurity concerns? Are they talking about this? 
this 51% attack? Um, so Bitcoiners believe that proof of stake is a more centralized system. And when something is more centralized, then there are more of these kind of like single points of failure, right? Or the possibility that someone could control the network or 51% attack it or, or you know, or I guess actually, sorry, I should have said earlier because, and um, you know, um, I feel like David might be able to correct me because I, I believe now it's uh, like a two thirds threshold for validation under proof of stake. Um, so it's not exactly 51%. But the point is that um, the Bitcoiners basically believe that under a proof of stake system, there's just a lot more opportunity for someone to um, commandeer the network in some fashion. And interestingly, not long before the merge, the U.S. government did something unprecedented, which was that they sanctioned a series of smart contracts. And it was for this a privacy mixer called Tornado Cash. And it's just what it sounds like. They Let's say that you want to get some privacy for your transactions, like you're either a public person and so you're going to make some transaction, but you don't want people to see it. Um, or you want to be like an anonymous donor or it's, you know, pay your salary. So you, you don't want people to see how much you're being paid, um, whatever, um, or or you're a hacker and you're trying to launder your, your funds. Um, all, you know, these different actors can use this quote unquote mixer and then um, all the coins get mixed and it makes it harder to follow the trail of, you know, where the coins came from. So the government previously had only ever sanctioned either entities, sorry, entities such as people or organizations. And that's because when you get placed on the sanctions list, you have the opportunity to kind of like appeal but when you're just like dumb software on a blockchain, obviously you can't do that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people in crypto were fully convinced that basically the government just screwed up. Like they maybe didn't realize that this was a different kind of entity or, you know, whatever. Um, and, but the thing is like, since the government didn't issue clear guidance around what this means for all the different actors that help process the transactions on the Ethereum blockchain, it just wasn't clear like for, so I'm not going to go into all the different entities and what they do in terms of helping to get transactions put into the blockchain. But suffice it to say that under a proof of stake system, there's multiple different parties that are all part of this process. And, you know, some of them are like US based exchanges such as Coinbase or Kraken. And obviously they're going to follow US law. So, um, you know, it just it just raised a lot of questions. Um, however, interestingly, despite these criticisms from the Bitcoiners that um, the a proof of stake system is more um, centralized, after the merge happened, um, yes, it is true that the centralized actors have been processing a lot of the transactions. However, um, when you look at Bitcoin. Um, it's actually worse in terms of uh, just, it's something like, I forget, like 5% of all entities uh, amongst the Bitcoin miners control like 84% of the network, whereas it's like 7% or sorry, seven entities on Ethereum for like 60% or I, I don't remember the numbers, but, but it's better. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And then even for one of those entities, it's actually kind of decentralized in that it actually consists of 28 different operators spread across all these jurisdictions. So the point is that despite these concerns from the Bitcoiners, like on certain metrics, it actually looks like 
right now Ethereum maybe is more decentralized, but you know, because I said these uh, systems are so complicated, I bet you could pick out other metrics and be like, oh, well, you know, by this metric, like Ethereum's worse or whatever. So, um, Anyway, yeah, I know this gets super in the weeds super fast, but that's... <laughs> no, it's funny. It's like I'm like, just when I thought I understood what was going on. Now I'm like talking to both of you. And I feel like I'm, I'm back at square one, like trying to make sense of this all. David, what what are you hearing? Like, uh, are, are you are, what are you are, are people like being feisty with you when you're saying like go merge? What What's some of the backlash? I have one interesting point, but you know, to start off with the decentralization piece, it's actually very interesting because there is a lot of backlash in terms of it appears to be a more centralized way of doing things uh, on the surface. Um, but the way the validation is going to occur, it's basically broken up into two separate nodes. And again, I'm going to try not to go too technically into the weeds here, but essentially there is the uh, there's a block producing node and there's a non-block producing node. Um, the block producing nodes, that's where you have to stake the Ethereum, like Laura was saying, for uh, 32 ETH or some fraction of that in a staking pool. Um, and they are the sole creators of new blocks on the blockchain. Um, this whole system is kind of built around a, a trust system where these top level nodes are creating data. Um, and yeah, there's basically the general public that runs a node for free, uh, essentially uh, keeping the validators in check, um, being able to uh, see all the blocks and all the transactions that the uh, block producing nodes are sending out and essentially holding them accountable. Um, and like Laura was saying earlier, if they were uh, acting in bad faith or if they're being lazy with their nodes, their uh, staked Ethereum starts to get burned, if not burned entirely. Um, so it does seem centralized in a way that the, there are these top level nodes that are creating information on the blockchain, but, um, the general public at a, you know, with some sort of randomness in, inserted in there is holding them accountable, which essentially is a decentralized way, a more decentralized way of going about things. Mm. Um, so, you know, there seems to be a back and forth with that, but I do have one very interesting viewpoint that, um, I'm sure there will be some, some further discussion on it and, it revolves around NFTs. Yes, and... I was I was going to, that was my follow-up question <laughs> is around what, what this merge means for NFTs and your thoughts. So yes, go for it. Yes, absolutely. So there is a very interesting viewpoint and, and I'm very interested to see how it develops over time. And it's essentially, is your NFT that you had on the proof of work chain or the, the, the pre-merge chain, is that going to essentially hold its same value or semantically hold its same value once it's on the proof of stake chain. There's a lot of purists or, or people that believe that the NFTs that you acquired on the proof of work chain only retain their value on that chain. And it essentially is a copy or a duplicate NFT on the proof of stake chain. So it really is an interesting dynamic and something that the community has to agree on is, you know, mm. do you want to continue working on the proof of work chain on some unofficial forked version where your NFTs were essentially born, quote unquote, or, you know, continue to go with the flow with the point of uh, proof of stake chain um, where your NFTs potentially uh, semantically could be duplicated where they might not be uh, essentially as valuable as, as they were before. Um, and you will start to see, unfortunately, some people trying to scam people because your NFTs are basically broken up across the two chains um, between the proof of work and the proof of stake. 
And you might see some people trying to sell their board apes or their crypto punks for fractions of the price on unofficial chains, and they might be able to get people here and there. So it's very interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it evolves over time. Are you leaning in one direction or the other right now? And of course, you you know things are changing so rapidly. You could change your mind fifty times, but like today, are you leaning in in one direction? <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I have a pretty firm stance on it, and I believe that. You know, your NFTs are, you know, the value is, 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 it remains across the proof of stake chain. Um, and I do think there's a little bit of almost like a, a civil duty to, for everyone to participate on the proof of stake chain as opposed to the proof of work chain, just in for environmental purposes and, and uh, cybersecurity purposes. Um, so I do, you know, I'm very for the proof of stake chain and saying with the official supported Ethereum chain. Laura, what about you? And any thoughts on on the NFT side? Well, a couple of thoughts. Um, the first would be that long term, many people doubt whether or not that proof of stake chain will really be viable because honestly, so much was broken on Ethereum when um, the merge happened, sorry, on on the proof of work chain, because everything is, or not ev- literally everything, but so much of it is about what's called composability, meaning, um, you know, there's just so many things on top and all these different smart contracts interact with each other in different ways. And so um, even if you, you know, had this NFT, like because Ethereum itself really isn't that valuable or probably wouldn't be that valuable on the proof of work chain long term because there aren't just the developers to maintain it. You know, it's sort of like I I was decluttering recently and I came up with some like old floppy disks that had my college essays on them. And I was like, oh, I kind of want this, you know, just as a memento, but I didn't have a way to to um to access the the files. Um so it, it, I imagine long term it, it may end up being like that. Um already that chain has just um been basically not 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 showing that it really is up to the task of maintaining the the chain or I should say the group of developers um have shown that they haven't really been up to the task of maintaining that chain um however the other thing i just wanted to point out is that um in my book uh, I covered a previous hard fork that was just as monumental as this one and that one was known as the dow hard fork And what was so interesting was leading up to the merge, there were a number of parallels um, in that, you know, the community really seemed aligned around the idea that after the merge, the proof of stake fork would be the one that was valuable. However, developers and traders have very different perspectives on things. And so this time around, you had some traders being like, hey, you know, after the fork, like, we could probably still extract some value from the the remaining proof of work chain. And I think the one, frankly, who was making the most noise about it, he actually did that back in 2016 with the previous hard fork, the Dow hard fork, which I covered in my book. And at that time, the Ethereum community was completely blindsided when the original chain revived and the tokens started trading and all these traders made a killing off of um, basically dumping these 
um, these tokens were like a fraction of what Ethereum itself, the, the forked token was worth, but these original coins still, even though they were worth like, you know, at different times, as much as frankly, even like 33% of what ETH was worth, um, they, they made money off of it. And so I think that's why this time you had a lot of noise being made about the value still remaining in that proof of work chain. And, you know, really, I do think it was the traders again, being like, Hey, you know, and there it, it's definitely the whales. It's the people who, you know, uh, maybe they have $10 million worth of ETH. And then with like a little bit of effort, like pushing a few developers to help them out, they can secure like an extra 1 million or, you know, they have a hundred million, they, they can secure 10 million or, you know, whatever. So um, anyway, uh, I I think, you know, history, history um, rhymes, but in this case, it like literally didn't quite repeat because the proof of work chain was nowhere near as, as successful as uh, the chain from the Dow hard fork, which later became known as Ethereum Classic and still thrives today. Interesting. Laura, where can people go to reach you and to follow everything that you're writing and covering on crypto? You can follow me on Twitter and it's just at Laura Shin, S-H-I-N. And you can also go to my author website, laurashin.com and also go to the Unchained podcast website where you can sign up for my newsletter. And if you're interested in my book, it's the Cryptopians, and there's a very easy URL to remember, which is bit.ly slash Cryptopians, B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. David, any parting words or, or thoughts on, on the Ethereum merge and what you're looking at now in the future? Um, for me, uh, I, I just would like to say I'm very uh, hopeful for the future. I'm very excited for the future. Um, something like this doesn't really come around uh, every ever so often. So, um, you know, you, when you take something so complex like the like the blockchain and you make these uh, technological advancements and reduce the power significantly, so you can run Ethereum on uh, much lesser computers and, and hardware. Um, that makes me very excited in terms of, of mass adoption and, and what developers can do in the future in terms of, uh, you know, integrating uh, other proof of uh, stake blockchain technologies and being able to commingle these chains together. Um, I'm just really excited to see what these developers and the communities build over time with this new mechanism. Terrific. And David, where can people go to reach you and follow everything? You're, you're such a great thought leader on, on across Twitter and in the community. Where can people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a part of the the Hug Discord, you always can reach me there. That's probably the, the first line of communication. Um, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at underscore Dave DNO. My DMs are always open. Um, I'm always here to help with anything technical or non-technical. I love helping the community. So uh, Twitter and Discord are my, my first lines of communication there. Thank you both so much. I took a lot of notes today. I have to say that there, I, this sparked a lot of uh, exciting discussion, but also a lot of things that showed me that I still need to research and learn about myself. So uh, Laura Shin, David Dieno, thank you so much for joining us in the Crypto Cafe today and breaking down the Ethereum merge for us. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Randy. Thanks. That was David Diena, Web3 smart contract and backend developer at Hug, and Laura Shin, crypto journalist, podcast host, and author. Definitely check out her book, The Cryptopians, and podcast Unchained, and connect with us at Hug in our Discord and across Twitter. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. <laughs>